For some of you, normal is very busy right now. For some of you, normal is getting you to the point where you're saying, man, something has to change. Uh, my schedule is killing me. I, I just can't keep doing what I'm doing. Normal is, is pretty bad right now for some of you. On August the 1st of this year, I was walking the streets of downtown Boston on a mission trip, and, and the team and I were walking through the streets of downtown Boston, and I saw a street sign that literally stopped me in my tracks. I want to show you a picture of that street sign. I don't know if you can see it from where you're at, but it says, No Margin Street. When I saw that, I was just blown away. I stopped. Now, and, and when I looked at it, I said, I know a lot of people that live on that street. Now, full disclosure... It actually had a period behind the N-O. We took that out because that would ruin the illustration with the period. But the, the no margin street really grabbed my attention. I want to describe to you some people who are living on no margin street. First of all, they think that busyness is next to godliness. That the busier you are, the godlier you must be. Uh, probably those that are living on, on that street, their minds are tired, their bodies are tired, their souls are empty. Those who are living on that street probably are living burned out, stressed out lives. Those who are living on that street are usually never off, never unplugged, and never quiet very long. And they're likely struggling with some type of physical pain. They have to go to the doctor every so often because there's just something not right and they're hurting. I want to say to you today and those in the Life Center that if you're living on no margin street, it's time to move. It's time to change. We live in a culture that pushes us to our limits. Buy more, do more, accomplish more, go more, win more, 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 more. And I'm convinced that, that a lot of people are living at an unbiblical, an unnecessary, unsustainable pace. In fact, I would say to you today, it's almost insane what normal is today. And I don't know if you've noticed, but even our kids have gotten caught up in this marginless living. We've done a good job of training our kids to follow in our footsteps. College kids, high schoolers, even middle schoolers are living stressed out lives. Just think about it. Average day for a middle schooler or a high schooler, there's there's, of course, school, and then there's activities after school, and maybe there's band practice or soccer practice or cheerleading practice, and then you eat supper in the car on the way to the ball game, and then you get home in time to do a little bit of homework before you go to bed, before you get up tomorrow to do it all over again. And that's a life that a lot of middle schoolers and high schoolers are living. Oh, and there's travel ball on the weekends, by the way. And so if someone asked those kind of people, said, are you enjoying life? They would probably say, I don't know, I'm too busy to notice. I'm just trying to keep up. I'm just trying to keep everything going. Now, if you ever look in your Bible or you look in any book, you can just look in your Bible right now, but if you look in any book, you will always find white space in any Bible and in any book. Now, if you ever thought about it, some Bibles and some books have a lot of white space in them. And you could look at that and say, well, I tell you what, those publishers could have gotten a whole lot more words in there if they just filled up the white space. 
If they just run the words from side to side, from top to bottom, if they didn't leave any white space, they could put a whole lot more words in that, pro- in that book. The problem is, you wouldn't read a book like that. You wouldn't read a book that had no white space. It's the white space that invites us in. It's the white space that makes the book readable. Publishers know that every book needs margins. God knows that every life does too. Problem is, we don't know that. I want to define margin for you. That's what I want to talk about a little bit today. I want to define margin. Margin is the difference between what you have and what you need. If I have 30 minutes to get somewhere and I only need 20 minutes to get there, I have 10 minutes of margin. Anybody know what margin is when you're traveling like that? It's usually the other way around, isn't it? Running 10 minutes late. Andy Stanley said margin is the space between our current pace and our limits. Now here's the problem. Listen to me. Over the Life Center, listen to this. We tend to live life at the limit. We tend to live life without very, very much, if any, margin. We tend to redline our life to the point where you just can't cram anything else in there anymore. Now, some of you have an extraordinary capacity to juggle a lot of things. You've got to have an extraordinary capacity to, to keep up with a lot of stuff. I want to tell you something. Listen carefully. Everybody has limits. Everybody. If you live your life at the limit, if you keep pushing longer and longer and cramming more and more into your life, at some point you will quit enjoying life. I'll say that again. If you keep pushing life to the limit, at some point, you'll stop enjoying life. At some point, you'll begin to recognize the signs of stress, the signs of burnout, the signs of frustration, just a lack of happiness in your life. So let me define margin for you in another way, try to help us understand it. Margin is the rest that is built into your everyday life. Or maybe I should say margin is the rest that should be built into your everyday life. It's the space between our load and our limits. Now, I want to be honest with you and say that the word margin is not found in the Bible. You can try to look it up. You won't find it. But the concept of margin is definitely in the Bible and throughout the Bible. God actually built built into our lives breathing room, if you will. He built into our lives some space. He built into our lives some margin, and God called it the Sabbath. The concept of setting aside some time, the concept of margin, the concept of, of not running to the limits is, really goes all the way back to creation. So take your Bibles, and I want to show you what God intended and how God created this world. And go to Genesis chapter I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day... God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he, he did what? What's that next word? He what? He rested. 
from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he did what? Say it again. He rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God established and modeled a principle for us that goes all the way back to the very beginning of time, the very beginning of the creation of our world. At the very beginning of creation, here's how important margin is. At the very beginning of creation, as God designed our world, He designed our world so that one day out of seven would be a day of rest. Now, fast forward several hundred years. Several hundred years later, a vast multitude of people, perhaps two million of them, are being led out of Egypt, being led out of slavery by Moses, God's representative. And they come to the southern desert in modern-day Israel and, and, and south of that, that area of modern-day Israel. They're in a desert area at a mountain. And God led the leader, Moses, to the top of this mountain where he established a covenant between God and his people that he was leading out of slavery. It was a sacred covenant with the Most High God. And we read about that covenant in Exodus chapter 20. So let's go over a book to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, it's, it's the story of God creating this covenant between him and, the, and his people that he would lead into the promised land. This covenant would set them apart as a unique people. This covenant would set them apart as the special people of God among all the peoples of the earth. This covenant would establish that this people would be the chosen people through whom the Messiah would come into the world. God gave these people ten stipulations carved into stone. Ten rules for living a distinct and healthy, and thriving life. God was saying to Moses and to his people, here's ten things I want you to focus on. Here's ten things that will make you my distinct people. Here are ten things that will give you a healthy, thriving life. And of course, we call those ten things the Ten Commandments. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing, but let me just summarize it for you. The first three commandments focused on how a person was to relate to God. Don't worship other gods. Don't make any graven images. Don't take God's name in vain. So the first three commandments are how you are supposed to worship and relate to God. Then the final six commandments spoke about relating to other people. Honor your parents. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't lie, etc. So the first three relating to God. The last six relating to how you relate to others. Three and six is how many? Nine. So that means there's one, one other commandment somewhere, right? One other commandment we haven't touched on yet, and it's commandment number four. It's only eight words long, and it's found in verse eight. And here's what God said. Commandment number four is this, Exodus 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. God said, there's ten things that I want to make sure that you do as my people. And one of those ten has to do with this concept of Sabbath or rest. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, I found something very interesting as I was researching this. 
Moses in verses 9 through 11 provides more commentary on the fourth commandment than he does any of the other commandments. You can just look at it for yourself. Uh, for example, uh, verse 2, verse 3, not very much, really no commentary at all. Verse 4, uh, some commentary on the third commandment. Uh, but when you come to the fourth commandment, remember Sabbath day and keep it holy. There's a lot of commentary there. It, it's as if God was saying, I want to make sure you understand this. And so here's what he says. Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he's, he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. M Moses is going all the way back as he relates what God has told him. He points the people back to creation, back to what we read in Genesis 2. Now here's something that you may not know. When they established this as one of the Ten Commandments, when God said, this is one of the ten, I want to make sure you follow this, and God said, I want to make sure you take this seriously, here's something you may not know. God established a penalty for their own well-being and for their survival. God established a severe penalty if they violated commandment number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's, it's kind of interesting if you go over to chapter 31. Chapter 31, look at verse 14. Chapter 31, verse 14. Observe the Sabbath. Shabbat is the Hebrew word. They still do that in Israel today. They still call it Shabbat. Observe the Shabbat. Observe the Sabbath. Because it is holy to you. Now watch this. Look at the penalty. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. <clears throat> For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Shabbat, is a Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. Now, everybody look up here. Doesn't that sound pretty harsh to our modern ears? It's hard for us to get our minds around this concept that if you don't honor the Sabbath, you should be put to death. It's hard for our modern minds to grab hold of that. But God understood something that we often do not. God knew that if you work seven days a week, it will leave you weak, and you will be susceptible to the enemy. Living a life without margin, living a life without some space, living a life going seven days a week, simply makes you an easy target for the devil. Because you're stressed and worn out and physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained. And you keep pushing and keep pushing and keep going and keep going. And God knew you can only do that for so long before you crash and burn. God knew that if you don't honor the Sabbath, if you don't take some space in your schedule, if you don't create some margin, God knew you'd be an easy target for the devil. 
Richard Swenson has written a book 27 years ago, I think, called Margin. It describes marginless living. See if this sounds familiar to, to anybody. He said, marginless living is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you're 20 minutes late getting out of the bank because you're 10 minutes late dropping off the kids at school because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station and you forgot your wallet. Might sound like a day you've had this week. If I've described your life so far, if I describe that with that little illustration, uh, you might be living on no margin street. It might be time to think about moving. You see, when there's no breathing room, if you don't hear anything else, listen to this over in the Life Center. If you don't hear anything else, make sure you get this. When you live on no margin street, when there's no breathing room in your life or your schedule, several things will likely happen. Number one, your stress level rises. This is so easy to understand. If you're driving somewhere and you're running late, do you know how the stress increases as you, look at, you keep looking at the clock and it's obvious that you're going to be maybe late and then it becomes obvious that you are going to be late, then it becomes obvious that you're going to be three minutes late, then you're going to be five minutes late. And, and the more that you go like that, the more the stress increases. Your stress level will rise. Number two, your satisfaction level lowers. Find yourself doing more and enjoying it less. Life is just not as fun as it used to be. And sometimes church is just not as enjoyable as it used to be. And you're wondering what's wrong. And maybe it's just that you're pushing seven days a week and you haven't experienced margin in your life. Satisfaction level lowers. And number three, your relationships suffer. You can be with the people that you love, but you're not really with them. Because the phone is always on, you're always on the computer, your mind is always running. And you might say, well, Keith, that's just the nature of the business that I'm in. That's just the nature of the industry that I'm in. It's just the season that I'm in. I mean, Keith, if I was like you and only worked one day a week, I could do that. But, but I have to work seven days a week and I still can't keep up. I'm sure you're right to an extent, but I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. It still doesn't change the fact that the most important relationships in your life might be suffering. You know what I found? Listen carefully. I, I found that some people, they, they say, I don't have time for this. I don't, have time. I don't have time for my marriage. I'm just too busy right now. I hope to kind of get back. I don't have time for my kids right now. i got to get this project done. I don't have time. They don't have time until... Until their marriage falls apart and all of a sudden they get motivated. And you know what? They find time to put, try to put their marriage back together. Uh, they don't have time until their kids are wandering off and become prodigals. And all of a sudden they find time to try to help their kids then. It, it's kind of amazing. We don't have time. But when really things begin to collapse, we find time. It all depends on what you give priority to. And what I found is, it's not just your relationships with people that suffer. It's also your relationship with God that suffers. For some of you over in the Life Center, those listening here, it used to be you were so committed to the Lord, you came to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You used to really take time with God in His Word. Now it's a verse or two here and there on the run. 
that God's building space in our lives. And when we ignore that principle, we pay the price. Now, some of you are going to be thinking, if you haven't already, you're going to be thinking, no, wait a minute, Keith, we're New Testament believers. We live under grace. We're New Testament believers. We, we don't keep the Ten Commandments anymore to try to gain God's favor. We live under grace. We're New Testament believers, and, and we, we're not obligated to keep the Ten Commandments to gain God's favor. And, and I would simply say to you this, but isn't there still wisdom in the Ten Commandments? Yes, we're under grace. Yes, Jesus has freed us from the law. But isn't there still wisdom in the Ten Commandments? I mean, let, let's just give you a little test. You know, one of the commandments says, Thou shalt not murder. Do you think that's still a pretty good idea? Thou shalt not steal. You think that's still a pretty good idea? Thou shalt not commit adultery. You think that's still a pretty good idea? We still live under the wisdom of the Ten Commandments, though we do live under grace. But listen to me. It seems like Christians today have decided that it's okay to keep nine of the Ten Commandments. We still believe in nine of them. It's that fourth one. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's that fourth one. Somehow we've deemed as not relevant in our modern society. And we are experiencing the negative consequences of that decision. Now, let me pause for a moment. Can I confess something to you? This is a hard message for me to preach. You know why? Because my Sabbath is my busiest day of the week. Now, I, I do work more than one day a week, believe it or not. I really do. But Sunday is my busiest day of the week. And so my day off is Monday. Tomorrow, I'm going to be at the state convention during my Sabbath, my day off. And so I understand, I have those same struggles that you do. Trying to make it a priority in my schedule and in my week. But the principle of the Sabbath was given us, to us by God to set aside some special time that we could rest and spend time with God. Now, since we're talking about the New Testament, uh, and less, we're New Testament believers, let's run to Mark chapter 2. I want to sh show you an interesting scripture where Jesus spoke about the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, one Shabbat, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick up some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You know, now let me stop there for a moment and explain to you real quickly that in the days of Jesus, or by the time of Jesus, humans did what humans do. That is, we complicate things. And so, by the time of Jesus, the Jews took that fourth commandment, and they continued to add commandments to that fourth commandment. They continued to add laws to that fourth commandment. Saying, so how do we keep this? How do we make sure that we're not working? Because God said that if you work, you ought to be stoned, you ought to be killed. So how can we be sure that we're not breaking that commandment? So they made all kinds of rules and regulations about working on the Sabbath by the time of Jesus, there was just a multitude of rules about working on the Sabbath. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here. The disciples picked some grain out as they were walking through a field and they were eating it. And the Pharisees said, wait, 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 wait. you're breaking the Sabbath. You're working on the Sabbath. 
And then here's what I want you to focus on, what Jesus said to them. Verse 27, or verse 25. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which was lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now, verse 27, look at this. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man, for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Can I translate that for you? The Sabbath is not for God's benefit. It's for yours. Let that sink in for a moment. It was a day intended for you to experience rest. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Experience restoration. Jesus himself said the Sabbath was not made For God, it was made for man. Isn't that interesting? Now, some of you have probably said from time to time what I have often said and been convicted about. I've often said, listen, I'd rather burn out than rust out. I can rest when I get to heaven. That sounds super spiritual. I'd rather burn out than rust out. I can rest when I get to heaven. That is super spiritual, but there's just one little problem with it. It's not biblical. It really isn't. I want to show you what I'm talking about. You see, Mark chapter 6. Go to Mark chapter 6. Jesus knows that we have limits, and God knows that we have limits, and, and the Lord is just trying to get us to understand that and to adjust our schedules accordingly. So we see this record in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The disciples gathered around Jesus and reported him all that they had done and taught. That is, they came back from a mission trip, if you will. They, Jesus had sent them out preaching throughout Galilee. And they went out for several days preaching and performing miracles, casting out demons. They're excited about what God has done. They're excited about all that they've done and all that they've experienced. They, they come back to Jesus and on a scale of 1 to 10, they're a 12 as far as excited. And they're telling Jesus all that they've done. They're telling Jesus all that they've experienced. And look what happens. Verse 30, the disciples gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, it was a busy time, he, Jesus, said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, the Scripture doesn't say this, but in my own sanctified imagination, I could think of Peter saying, rest? We we got all eternity to rest. Let's go do some more of this. And Jesus said, no. No, You need to rest. It's interesting, if you really study that, Jesus never said, I love that mission report. He never said, what a great thing you've done. The only thing he said in response to their mission report was, guys, you need to get some rest. Jesus seemed more concerned with helping them establish healthy rhythms in their ministry that would sustain their ministry. He was more interested in this healthy rhythm than he was in their ministry report. 
it's almost as if Jesus said, and I, and I, I confess, I'm reading through the lines. It's almost as if Jesus said, you can't keep this up. You can't do this all the time. You're, you're going to need some margin in your life if you're going to continue to do ministry. If anybody knew that the stress of ministry, it was Jesus. And after the disciples came back jacked up and excited about all that they had done, Jesus took them aside and said, now let me teach you something else. Let me teach you how to rest. You see, remember this. Listen, doing God's work is very important. But doing God's work is in a sustainable way is just as important. Jesus recognized that God's work effectively done will include times of rest and renewal. See if any of these feel familiar to you. I didn't say see if they sound familiar. I said see if any of these feel familiar to you. Sense of failure, self-doubt, feeling helpless and trapped and defeated, the feeling of being detached and alone in the world, a loss of motivation, increasingly cynical and negative about the things you see in life, De decreased satisfaction, and a decreased sense of accomplishment. Any of that feel familiar to you? Lots of people are living with those kind of feelings every day, and partly because we have ignored the fourth commandment. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do tonight. I'm about to end it, so hang on. Don't put anything away, but I'm about to end it. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to give you some bonus material tonight. First uh, John is where we'll be landing tonight. We'll be studying First John again. But I'm going to give you some bonus material, and I'll give you a little bit of a hint. This concept of rest is so important that God declared in the Old Testament that even the land must rest one year out of seven. And there were severe consequences when that did not happen. And we'll talk about that briefly tonight, just bonus material, briefly tonight before we get into 1 John. Now let me close by giving you three applications. I, I really want to try to make this as personal, as practical as I can be. Here's number one. God is serious about your rest, and He wants you to be serious about it too. From the beginning of creation, God has made this a priority. Don't miss that. From the beginning of creation, God has made this a priority. From the first day of creation, or the first days of creation, God has made this a priority. You see, if Satan can't take you down through sin, I'm convinced if he can't take you down through sin, he'll just make you very, very busy. God's serious about your rest, and He wants you to be serious about it too. Number two, entering a lifestyle of rest is a step of faith. Some of you would say to me, Keith, this just doesn't work with my schedule. This just doesn't work in my industry. It just doesn't work with my family. It doesn't work with the season that I'm in. Uh, and I understand that. Uh, Keith, if, if I do what you're talking about, everything's going to fall apart. I understand that. Listen to me. It's kind of like the principle of tithing. I have learned, and many of you have learned, that I can live better on the 90% God lets me keep if I give Him the 10% He deserves. That's a step of faith. 
Could it be that you could be more efficient and effective on the six days God has given you to work if you'll give Him one day of rest? It's a step of faith. It's a step of trusting Him. It's a deep level of trust when you say, God, I'm going to set aside one day for rest, for renewal, and to spend time with you. Lesson number three, with this I close. You're never going to live the life that God intends for you until you intend to. Some of you today, when you, after, after all this is over, you're going to say, hey, let's go out to eat. And somebody's going to say, let's go to Chick-fil-A. And then you're going to realize, we can't do that. Why? They're always closed on. Have you ever noticed how God has blessed Chick-fil-A? You know why they're closed on Sunday? Because from the very beginning of their creation of their business, they intended to be closed on Sunday. They intended to honor the Sabbath. I believe that's one of the reasons God has honored them. I mean, uh, it's just amazing. You go just about any Chick-fil-A anywhere, it's amazing how many people flock into that business the other six days of the week. So let me give you a couple of things and and then we'll be done. In an effort to control your life, don't lose control of your life. Just stop and ask a basic question. Where do I need some breathing room? Where do I need some space? Where do I need some margin? Now listen to me over in the Life Center. Listen to me. The key is not to just stop doing a bunch of stuff. That's not the key. Because the problem is, with your driven personality, if you stop a bunch of stuff right now, you'll fill up that margin real quickly. The key is not to just stop doing a bunch of stuff. The key is to work hard for six days and then rest hard for one. And you might be amazed at how refreshed and how sustaining it is to do what God commanded from the beginning of creation. Jesus said it. He said, you know what? The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was for your benefit. And you ignore it at your own cost. Pray. Join me. Father, thank you for this word of of instruction and encouragement. Help us to learn to build some margin, some space in our life so that we can serve you effectively, efficiently, and stay engaged in what you have us to do. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.